I'm glad I came to church. I was in Dubai all week, and I thought I got to get back for church. I don't know why, but man, this has been awesome. Um, are you ready for more? Okay, because it's about to get even better. It's so fun. We uh, have a, somebody else speaking this morning to us. So are you ready to hear from God? It's going to be awesome. Some of, somebody loved that you all love, and uh, it's going to be amazing. I got to hear a little bit of the message last night as I was driving back from Chicago, hear how it's going to go, and we are going to be challenged. We're going to be encouraged and built up by the testimony of the power of God. So we are ready to hear from it this morning. So I want to welcome to the stage somebody you all know and love. And if you're ready to hear from God, hear about his love, hear about how awesome he is, and if you want to celebrate somebody great, and even if you're just here for fun, I want you to stand up, give Karis Fregi a round of applause. Here we go. <laughs> Obviously, we all know Chad and Karis uh, love our church, carry our church, and they have, have you ever been loved by Chad and or Karis Fregi? We love uh, them. They're, they're just such an important part of who we are. And, uh, you know, over the last year, we've all been walking together with them, alongside of them. They've been uh, showing us how to follow Jesus in, in powerful and difficult ways. And uh, we haven't just, they haven't just made it through. They've come out with the testimony of God. And so we thought it'd be awesome to have them come up and uh, just open up, open up Karis's life to us. Of what has God done in the last year, their journey with Cade and as a family and all these kinds of things? What have they seen God do? And so I want you to be ready to listen, not just ready to be encouraged, but I want you to be listening for something that you can take away and say, okay, I'm, you know, I may not go through all of these exact circumstances. I may not encounter God in all the same way, but there's something I can do in response to this. So are you ready? All right, let's pray for her. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for Karis, and we thank you for Chad and the Fiji family. Thank you for this church. Thank you for your word. And Lord, thank you for your testimony, the truth and the experience, not just the declaration that you are good, but the experience that you are good. And so would you speak to us, God? Open up our hearts to receive in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. Thank you. Um, I am so honored to be with you guys today. I feel like so many of you did walk this journey with us. Um, our son went through a year-long um, cancer treatment battle that we're going to get into, um, but it actually started a year ago this week. So that's why it feels like, man, you guys rejoiced with us and you mourned with us. And so like today, I just want to celebrate what God did. And I'm, I want to tell our story, but more just like so that you guys can be encouraged as well. Um, I love Thanksgiving, and I might um, totally alienate myself from Emily Lange Bartles because she is like Buddy the Elf in a female form. But does anyone else, does you love Thanksgiving over Christmas even? Thank you. I mean, just honesty. This is why I also feel like Christmas is too costly emotionally. Like, there's a lot of amp. There's Christmas music. There's not Thanksgiving music that you suddenly have to stop listening to. Like, Thanksgiving is just like, it's a good way to live your life. So I feel like it's so sustainable for me emotionally. Um, but more than that, it's been two years since I've had that wonderful Thanksgiving meal, and I'm so looking forward to it this year. Last year, I watched Chad eat it in a hospital room. He was, like, stuffing green bean casserole, I think, down his throat, like as I was like laying in bed next to Cade, and I was like, this is weird. This is a weird Thanksgiving. <laughs> but now Thanksgiving, I think just in the kindness of God, will always be marked for me by this. And it's like, you know, when the Israelites left Egypt and they had that Passover feast, like I'm so excited to do that with you guys and be like, let's just remember. Um, but there are, on the front side, when people give testimony that I've heard, a couple of things happen in my own heart. Usually I'm encouraged. 
Sometimes I feel distanced, like, well, that's them, and I'm me. They're on stage. I'm not. And then the third thing that happens is I usually get afraid that what happened to them will be repeated in my life. So we're going to go after the third fear. Um, right now, if you, we're going to have two different things that you have to do. If you or someone you love is battling cancer, will you just raise your hand? Okay, keep your hands up. Um, also, second group, this is like half the church. If you have children in your home living with you, um, would you stand up? So the people who have your hands raised, keep them up. People who have kids in your home, stand up. Okay, we are going to pray as a church for these two groups of people because I just love God. And I love that, like, Linda always is quoting in Revelation that the spirit of Jesus, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. He can do it again. So um, let's pray together really quickly. Father, for every person with their hand raised who knows someone who is currently battling cancer or who is in their own body, Father, we thank you that we can have more fear of the name of Jesus than of the word cancer. And we just lift you up, God. We say you are king. And so we ask, Father, for bodies to be healed right now. God, we ask for cells to have the life of Jesus in them, to know what to do. We ask for immune systems to recover and be able to fully kill these cancer cells. And God, we ask that each person would have a testimony of deliverance, not of death, God, that their hearts would survive. And Father, I pray for every parent in this room. God, I am so thankful for the children they represent and for the purpose on those kids' lives. Would they live long lives where their hearts would burn for you? God, I ask that they would have a Billy Graham spirit, that they would wanna share the gospel. And God, I ask that they would love you all the days of their life, that every scheme the enemy has for them, that you would intercept and in your kindness, turn it to their favor. In your name, amen. So do you feel ready? Now I feel ready. I feel like I can go here now and feel better about life. Um, you know, when I was asking God, how do you take a year-long thing and like synopsize it for people. And then how do I make it so that there's something everyone can take away? And I just felt like he said, and you know, you've heard God speaks to you in a language you can understand. And for me, he speaks in a lot of metaphors. And he said, I want my people rooted. Now for me, right away, I knew what that meant. He wants his people rooted. It brought me back when Chad and I were dating. We were in Waco, Texas. We met in Waco, and we were engaged, and we, um, I was just like asking the Lord for our marriage. Lord, what, what is a verse that I can like apply here? And I felt like he gave me this verse in Jeremiah chapter 17. Um, and this is why I felt like he referenced, so it's kind of come up on the screen. Yes? No? Okay. It is this verse. It says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. So when the Lord said, I want my people rooted, I was like, okay, I'm gonna go look up what the scripture is. Again, remind myself what it says. And as I looked at it, I realized this was the blueprint for this past year for me. But I don't just think this verse is for Chad and I. I think this is the prophetic dream of God for all of his people, that we would be rooted. And when I say rooted, I mean rooted to who God is and to his promises. For me also practically, that means maintaining connection to God. Just like I'm going to talk to him 
through the whole thing, through every day, I'm gonna talk to him. I'm gonna be in relationship. I'm not gonna let my heart die. There were a lot of times this past year, my heart wanted to die, to not feel things. But I thought, no, I gotta stay alive. I have to stay awake to you, Jesus. And I have to maintain that connection in my root system. And I love that roots, you can't see it. No one else can choose it for you. It's the internal, my, my rootedness to the Father right now. You can be rooted to the Father. Um, it was today, actually, a year ago that Chad got home from a guy's trip. It wasn't a very typical guy's trip. He went with two other pastors in the Antioch movement. And I'm sure they did ridiculous, you know, like they were on like a lake, so I'm sure you did ridiculous, dangerous things like with fire or something like that. But um, he came home really refreshed. It was the first time in our 10-year marriage or nine-year marriage at the time that I had had any like desire to let him go. We have four kids and I felt like my crazy capacity. Finally, I guess I was like, okay, you can do this. Um, and the Lord knew what was ahead. So Chad got home on Sunday night. He was like, hey, I really feel like we need to go into Thanksgiving week just highlighting Thanksgiving. And I was like, I mean, it sounds so obvious, but you know when the Holy Spirit says something, you're like, yeah, I think so too. Like, we're just so thankful. Life is so great. Um, and Cade had been having, Cade was four at the time. He's our son. We have, did I say we had four kids? So he's our second. And um, he had been having these recurrent fevers, and I'd been keeping track of them. And just like, okay, this is weird. Why is he having these? And um, so two days after Chad said that, on Tuesday, my parents were really insistent about coming for Thanksgiving. They're in Texas, it's 15 hours, and it was the off year, so I was gonna be with the Freegees, and I was like, you guys don't have to come. But they're like, no, we, we really wanna come. And I was like, okay, fine, come, that's great. So they actually showed up that morning, and um, I was feeling Cade's side while I was getting him changed, and just noticed that there was a lump. So, spirit of fear, we rebuke you <laughs> from anyone in this room. But, um, so I just noticed, like, something felt different. Called the doctor, Chad happened to come home, we happened to go to the doctor together. Our doctor immediately, um, kind of shut down my like hopes that it was these certain things and sent him for an x-ray. And as Cade was laying there, it was just me and Cade, the x-ray machine put a cross over his abdomen. And I immediately just knew, Lord, you're with me. Like, I didn't know what it was, but I just knew he was with me. And she came back and she said, it's not good. I'm gonna send you downtown to Riley. You're gonna go to the emergency room. And so Chad and I, we had Lily, I had a seven-month-old at the time, and Cade, and we went downtown and um, on the way, we were just like, okay, God, how do we stay rooted right now? It wasn't really what we were saying, but in our minds, we were rehearsing, what have you said about Cade? What are the promises you've made to us about Cade? And it was really interesting because when Cade was first born, he had a cleft lip. And on the day I was supposed to have him at my 40-week appointment, I went in for a routine ultrasound. We found out he had a cleft lip. And that morning, I had been reading the Psalm of the day. It was December 18th, so I was reading Psalm 18. And it was all about how the Lord trains my hands for battle so that my hands can bow a bend of broads. And I was like, this is weird. Why am I reading about warfare? Like, I'm having a baby. And so we thought, okay, it must have been for the cleft lip. A week later, he's born. And during that week, we were praying that the cleft lip would be healed. And Chad felt like God gave him John eleven forty, which is the story of Lazarus. And in it, Jesus says, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And we're like, awesome, cleft lip, we're gonna see the glory of God. Like, that was a really amazing promise. Six months later, we actually had surgery at Riley. And we were in the same waiting room that we turned out to be in almost four and a half years later. Um, so we had these promises. Did I not tell you, if you believed, you would see the glory of God. In that Lazarus story, Jesus said, this is a sickness that will not lead to, to death. 
even though Lazarus dies. So that was confusing because I was like, Lord, I don't know which one this is. But anyway, um, so anyway, I, but I, we were like maintaining connection. Okay, God, this is what you said. We are not going to listen to fear. So we get into the emergency room and um, we meet with the surgeon right away. And he's, I just feel so bad for these people because they have such hard jobs. He's introducing these new terms, telling us that this tumor that they see is growing off of one of his kidneys. They assume it is called a Wilms tumor. And when they took him back for a CT scan, they brought him back and said it's actually metastasized to his lungs. That's the first place that it goes. And so our minds are spinning. And, you know, we, we anyway, yeah, our minds are spinning. We were the people who thought this would never happen, right? So um, as we're sitting there, we're just like, okay. And Chad says, do you pray to this surgeon? He's so gracious. He's like, yes. You're like, can we pray with you? He's like, yes. So we pray together. Little did I know, I found out later, he went back and got his, what I'm assuming is his favorite fellow or everyone's favorite fellow. <laughs> She's actually sitting right here. <laughs> Brittany, will you just stand up because you're awesome. <laughs> Woo! So anyway, he went back and got Brittany and was like, hey, will you stay? You've been on, I don't know how, I mean, your whole life you're on. So he was like, will you stay and do the surgery with me? I know I have to be the one to do it. And it wouldn't have been till the next day. And Brittany, because she's awesome, was like, yeah, I'm going to stay with you. So Chad and I take him up that night. We don't know any of this. All we know is we prayed with the surgeon and we're, you know, praying. And Zanakos, a lot of Zanakos show up. And they've been so awesome and faithful with food. And um, man, we, I went home that night to my family. And I can, just, I can just remember the closeness of God, honestly. The next morning, we come in with Cade. And um, two of my friends showed up as the oncologist came up. And they start walking me through things. And they say, we think probably this tumor has ruptured, which means that the cells are now all over his abdomen. Um, and my friend who's standing next to me goes, well, let's pray it didn't rupture. And it was like, insert of faith. I was like, yeah, okay, let's pray it didn't rupture. Um, that gave me a strategy to pray for. And so they also said, Wilms is one of the best kind of childhood cancers to have, if you have to have one, because typically the treatment is only six weeks. So we go into the surgery room. Ironically, it's the same place that four and a half years earlier I had been in, and I had been so thankful. <laughs> like, God, thank you that we're only here for cleft lip. And now we're here for this. And um, not even sure, you know, they're putting a port over his heart because they're assuming it's cancer. They know it's cancer, basically. And they know that he's going to need treatment. So many sad faces. Guys, this is not a sad story. <laughs> this part is sad, but we are going to make it through. So we, we're sitting in, we're waiting in the waiting area. There are people everywhere. There's this precious lady, Laura. She's coming around. She's giving updates on surgery. And um, so they've told us, we don't think we'll be able to get this out. Even our surgeon has said, I'm, I'm going to try to get a piece of it. We're going to try to get it out, but I don't know that we can. Brittany has given me the inside scoop to the surgery, so it's so cool. As they wheel him back, I'm literally wheeling my son back to two people who love God and who prayed before the surgery and after the surgery. And she told me that the atmosphere in the room during surgery, she's like, it was just celebration. Like, so Laura comes out and she says, so they got the whole tumor out. And I'm like, I mean, I'm dramatic anyway. So I'm like literally on the floor sobbing. And she's like, you didn't know they were getting this. And she starts crying. She's like, I've been doing this 37 years and I never get emotional. And so we're just repeating the promises of God as we're waiting. And I remember one in particular that ties in so well to the idea of being rooted is Psalm 84. And it's in the Passion Translation. Now, normal translation, it says that blessed are those whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. They go from strength to strength. When they pass through the valley of weeping, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. In the Passion, it says, I think we have it. 
It says, I will pull it up because it is a little slow. No? Okay. Hold on, guys. <laughs> We're going to make it. In the Passion, it says, even when their paths wind through the dark valley of tears, they dig deep to find a pleasant pool where others find only pain. He gives to them a brook of blessing filled from the rain of an outpouring. They grow stronger and stronger with every step forward, and the God of all gods will appear before them in Zion. How cool. They dig deep to find a pleasant pool where others find only pain. The roots of our heart get to dig deep to find a pleasant pool. This is why we want to stay rooted. And guys, this is what, if I could say one takeaway, Chad always says it so much more simply, but I have so many more words. But he just says, spend time with Jesus. I say, be rooted now. Like, you don't just need to be rooted for the bad things in life. But when they come, it is not the time to be like, where are my roots? And like, is my root in like bitterness? Is my root in, the, it's like, no, root to the stream. Root now so that when the storm comes, your roots are in. Chad and I weren't going like, is God good? We're like, no, we have walked with this God for 20 plus years. He's good. We don't know what he's going to do, but we expect him to meet us. That was our pleasant pool. I love that the next part of this verse gives so much permission for me. It says, it will not fear when the heat comes. I think I always thought in my immaturity that Christians either didn't feel the heat or the heat didn't come, or if they did feel the heat, it was kind of like having an epidural for the heat. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's hot, but like, oh, glory to God. Like, I feel so much grace right now. And I, that is sometimes very true. And then there are other times where you feel the heat. And I would literally come before the Lord and be like, I'm going to die. You're killing me. I'm going to die. My heart feels like it's dying if you don't do something. And if I had maintained this idea that I wasn't supposed to feel the heat, that would have either brought a lot of condemnation on me that I was doing something wrong because I'm feeling it, or it would have made me think God is a failure and a liar because I feel the heat. And I think it's so encouraging that to look at First Peter. Um, it says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And so this was my takeaway. As, as the week went by, we, we had Cade in the hospital. It was, and I can honestly say that first week, I didn't feel a lot of the trauma. I really felt a lot of grace. I was so sad. I was crying a lot. So like people who saw me were like, no, that's not true. But I really did internally feel pretty okay and feel like, okay, God, like I expect to meet with you. And we had basically assumed this would be the Wilms. That was the six weeks Wilms. Like, um, I think it was something like 5% of the amount of kids. There's only 600 who get Wilms a year, basically, somewhere around there. And 5% of them have what's called anaplastic Wilms. And it's a more aggressive type of cancer. And of those, only 50% respond to treatment well. And so we didn't really know any of those statistics because we really hadn't listened to that part of it. So when we got pathology results back and they told us that he had anaplastic cells, that his histology was unfavorable, these, all these words, so I'm like, I have no idea what these words mean. Just tell me what they mean. And they're telling me things about my son. And they said, you have 36 weeks of chemotherapy and you have at least 20 radiation treatments to his lungs and his abdomen. There was such heat in my heart. Sorry. 
where I was so tunneling, like, God, I've been faithful. This is what I thought you said. I was praying it. But there was this incredible peace at the same time. I felt like he gave me, and, and I think for me, the, the takeaway in all of the heat was that it had a purpose. I'm not trying to explain sadness and sorrow because I think that there, there are things that we'll just never get. And I've given over, like, the mystery has to exist. I don't know why certain things happen. But I know that in God, he makes it to our benefit. So when the heat comes, you will feel it, but it has purpose. And so when I read these verses, I'm like, oh my goodness, my faith is really important to you. Cade's faith is really important to you. There are even worse things than cancer. There is rebellion. There is stuff where he could walk away from God. And I'm believing, Lord, that this is actually you drawing his heart, that you're going to use what is bad and what is evil for my benefit. And so I think that, like, for me became the place where, oh, I don't have to be afraid when the heat comes, even though I feel very afraid. I don't have to be afraid because I know it's going to be used. It's going to be used. And I felt like the Lord gave me this picture one day as I was leaving Riley, and I felt like he just gave me this beautiful picture of him taking the chessboard of my life. It was never like the devil had it or the world had it, but I just felt like he was like, no, no, watch. Like, now I'm going to maneuver things in your favor and in Cade's favor throughout your story. And we had those 20 radiation treatments. People showed up every morning so faithfully to pray for Cade the whole time. And the Lord would bring these passages to mind. We would pray Psalm 121. Like, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And radiation, they take Cade and they have to put him under. And they take him by himself into this room. And no one else is there. And it was amazing the amount of people who would text and talk about seeing God, Jesus, standing right next to Cade holding his hand, standing right next to him. And I have no doubt that those things happened, that Cade was so covered. And even though the heat did get turned up throughout treatment, throughout 36 weeks, there was these times, this overcoming, like, this is not the final word. The enemy wants me to think, this is the final word. And when I think of a tree, like in a storm, it's like going crazy. And there were so many times my heart was doing this, going crazy. But my roots were secure. And when the air cleared, that tree is still standing because its roots are deep. And I'm not going to sit in the good time of life and be like, oh, my gosh, I was just so thrown around in that storm. Did you see that? Like, I don't want to live my life that way. I don't want to, like, reference the storm and be like, like, yeah, there's things God's walking me through. I have to literally walk up to shirts and be like, I am not afraid of you. I'm going to wear you even though I wore you in radiation. There's still a pair of earrings. I just, like, still can't put in my ears. But I'm working <laughs> on getting free of the trauma so that I can be useful. Because I'm like, I am not going to waste more time on what already took a year of my life. You know what I'm saying? All right, so this brings me to the next part of the verse. It says that it will not fear when the, heat's come, when the heat comes, for its leaves are always green. And I love the word green. And when I looked it up, it actually means flourishing, new, and verdant. I don't actually know what that word means. But the idea of flourishing, I was thinking like, okay, God, how is this true? Because in the middle of that hardness, I also felt like, the Holy Spirit is so personal, and he would bring very personal kindnesses our way. Um, one of the things that happened, our gym that we loved comped our memberships. That seems small, 
But it was a big like, oh my gosh, gifts started pouring in for Cade. It didn't take away things, but it was like the generosity of people. I became, I like was so aware of the beauty of community and humanity and people showing up. And there was this flourishing nature in my heart of like seeing good in the middle of it all. And I think like when a a tree's leaves are green, it basically means it's getting the nutrients it needs, right? When our, our hearts are rooted in the Father, our leaves are green. No matter what is happening, there was this constant flow of communication. The father would literally, like we, halfway through treatment, Kate started throwing up a lot, a lot, and didn't have a lot of control after certain treatments. And Chad and I were just at kind of our wits end. You know, we, we didn't know what else to do. And so we're like, that's it. We're going to like recruit everybody into fasting. And so we would do these Tuesday fasting. I don't even know why we started making videos in the first place, but we did these videos and people would watch with us. And I think I was afraid my blogs were really wordy, as you can imagine. And so I was like, maybe if we do like a video, people who don't like to read will like the video. And um, it was amazing the amount of people who were like, we're fasting with you on Tuesday. People I had never even like really spoken to were like, we're fasting for you and your son. And I'd be like, That's amazing. It amazes me that you'd give up food for my family. But when we would do that, God would provide these new promises for Cade every week. That green leaf of the new promise, I'd wake up in the morning, God, what do I believe for for this chemo? My friends would come every week of chemo, even our five days. I would have a different friend every day pray with me during the entire infusion. That's amazing. And when they would pray, they'd bring their fresh faith to my discouraged faith. One of the things I really hated, and sorry for anyone who lives downtown, I hate downtown. And I just didn't want to go downtown. And I'm such a, like, there are so many families who drive hours and hours to their areas of treatment. But it was just hard for me. And the Lord somehow provided that we had to go get a random blood test up at IU North. And then we found out we can actually get treated here. And then the oncologist is a female. And she hugs me and she talks to me. And, like, there's nothing against men, but sometimes you just need a woman to be like, this is hard. And she's like, I know. And, like... The nurses were amazing. Cade knows them all. Like, it was, it was just the biggest make it for my heart. Was he, like, healed in that moment? No, we still had a long journey. But God was providing the nutrients my specific heart needed. Someone else maybe wouldn't have needed it, but I needed it to make it. My aunt, my mom, my, like, my family would come up. We'd spend these awesome weeks together. Eden and I watched so much Hallmark while Chad was in the hospital with Cade. And it was, like, it was good for my heart. You know what I'm saying? He provides the green for your leaves, if you look for it, if you're looking for the kindness, you can soak up the nutrients. I love in 2 Corinthians 4.10, it says, through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. And there was this very close holding of, of feelings like things were dying and then feeling like a lot was living. And so I couldn't just give a testimony of like, just this death. It was, there was so much life, and I don't, I'm a mixed bag, people. Like, that's how I felt, you know, which is awesome. The next verse says, it is not anxious in the year of drought. I love that the word drought means things withheld, and I think there are so many seasons of our lives that things feel like they're being withheld from us. Even little things like when you first have a baby, a lot is withheld. Your sleep, your normalcy, your your husband, your relationships, like everything feels different, especially in this past season. We were learning to live in these new boundaries that God had given for our lives. We couldn't hang out with people. Like our son had really low immunities. We couldn't do all the normal things a family could do. We would spend weeks where one of us was in the hospital, one of us was at home, and we had the withheldness, if y'all know what I mean. 
But we also learned how to live in those places. I love that Psalm 16 says, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. Man, that was so powerful to say, God, the boundary lines for my life and for Cade's life, they've fallen in pleasant places. Like, I am not gonna let cancer be the the boundary line for him. I'm gonna say what God has chosen for my son that my sin didn't create, just what God allowed to happen, I'm gonna trust is a pleasant place. And when we were on the lookout for it, we found it. About um, 30 weeks into treatment, we had a second set of scans. First set of scans, super exciting in March. They, we had prayed and prayed and prayed, and um, we get to the first set of scans, and our oncologist calls us. This is back when we had, oh, he's like precious, a male oncologist calls us. He's like, I have fantastic news. And he basically tells us that the tumors in his lungs have melted to nothing. And we're like throwing parties, yeah, huge celebration. And at that point, we were like, well, do we, do we quit t- treatment? Because, like, the lungs, the, the, the tumors have melted. And so we actually laid out what you referenced, Brad, is a, a Gideon's fleece. We're like, let's take a bucket and put it in our backyard. Somewhere between, we have this little gross, like, it's a gross color pond and our yard. And let's put a bucket. And, God, if you want us to be done, it's like three feet from the pond, you put a fish in the bucket. Okay? So weekly, every week before chemo, Chad goes out there, checks the bucket, nothing's there. We get to week 30, and um, we do scans, and they said there are four new nodules in his lungs. And it was like that, that withheld, you know, that drought feeling all of a sudden triggers in me. And, but I remember Chad and I reacted very differently, but in my heart, the place that I had to get to was, God, I have to stay connected to you. So I don't know that I can pray the same way I was praying because I don't know what this is going to do. But I have to stay connected to you to where I'm not hostile to you and I'm not holding you to an outcome. I'm just holding you to the fact that I know you're going to be good. So we get to that week and, and I realized in that the reason I wasn't afraid of the drought was that I knew who was with me. And sometimes that's all the comfort you get is like he's with me. He's with me in the drought. I don't have to be anxious in the year of drought. The beautiful thing of the resolution of that story, I'm just going to give it to you now because you probably want it, is that we had this worship night the night before his next scans. And when we took him in for scans um, that week, we, well, we had actually taken him in for his last chemo. And it was the 36th chemo. We'd been asking God, you know, God, if he's not supposed to have it. He ended up running a fever. And it turns out that he had an infection in his blood. He gets put in the hospital right away. It's pretty serious. They're talking to us about how long this day is going to be. And we just started praying. Like, God, like, let him, let him out early. Let it not be an infection. Sure enough, it turns out not to be the infection that they suspected. But we get sent home with a certain antibiotic that they said is especially hard when you only have one kidney. And so our oncologist is like, let's just cancel the last chemo. And Chad and I are like, like, we're done? And she's like, yeah, well, let's just be done. We'll just move on to scans. So we'd begun to have these conversations with her about what would happen if it was recurrent Wilms. And it's pretty dismal, the outcome. But we're just like, okay, God, we're throwing all of our chips, you know, like onto the center of the table. And we're like, you can do whatever you want. And so we had this worship night just to ask God to celebrate what he already did, that chemo was done, and to ask God, like, you can do whatever you want. You can heal him if you want to. And our hearts want to stay alive to you. We want to stay rooted to you. And so we go in for scans that week, and right away we went up with our oncologist to look at him, and we really couldn't see anything. She couldn't even find him in the first place at the original scans when they found the four new places. So she's like, guys, everything looks the same to me. So we went back to her office, talked about some options of treatment, and everything was pretty heavy. And then she calls us the next day. She's like, hey, I don't have bad news. And we're like, okay. 
And she's like, um, the four new places she walks us through are gone. And she, we're like, okay, what, is, what does this mean? And she's like, enroll that boy in school. So, right? So Cade gets put into school, which is awesome. So two days after we have that conversation, Chad and I are still like, is this happening? What is happening? Like we were literally walking down. I'm Googling things I never thought I would. Like, you know, just so much, whatever. Yeah. And as, as Chad goes out to the backyard to kind of do some whatever men do in the yard, and I'm gone with Eden, and he, he notices that not that, I mean, you do a lot. I just don't know exactly what you do. Anyway. <laughs> He goes to the edge of the lawn, and um, he sees that our bucket, it's been there since March. It usually falls over. We have to, like, stand it up straight. It had actually rolled, and he was like, that's so weird. He goes down. It's, like, on the edge. Like, here's where the pond is. Here's where our yard is. He picks up the bucket. There's, like, an inch of dark water. So he goes to dump it out, and a fish comes out of the bucket. Isn't that cool? Yeah. So he calls me, and he's like, there's a fish. So we tried to keep the fish alive, and it died pretty quickly inside of our little... Apparently, he needs a lot of oxygen or something, and we didn't have it. Anyway, it's frozen in our freezer still, if you want to see it. But anyway, so we are living in a God that does miracles in the year of drought. We don't have to be anxious. The last part of this verse says that it does not cease to bear fruit. And I remember hearing this podcast one time, and she was talking about Melissa Helser has had this bone disease for 16 years. And she was, she'd gone everywhere for healing, tried fasting, tried all this stuff. Like, God, I just want to be healed. She sat down with her brother-in-law one day, and he looked across, and he was like, hey, Melissa, are you bearing fruit? Like, in this season, are you bearing fruit? She was like, well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm getting more patient. I'm getting more kind. And he's like, then you're doing great. And I would listen to that message over and over because I hated it so much. And I hated that line. And I would be like, God, it's not enough just to bear fruit. Like, I want my son healed. But as I read it and as I look at my life, I was like, whoa, he was developing the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of that season, while I would never wish that on anyone, I would wish the fruit. And in my own life, like, I wouldn't want to willingly say yes. And I'm so glad God didn't ask. Like, hey, is it okay? is this okay if we do this? Like, I would have been like, no, you know. But the idea is that it produced fruit. I want to read these fruits. Fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, verse 22. It says, but the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit within you is divine love in all its varied expressions, joy that overflows, peace that subdues, patience that endures, kindness in action, a life full of virtue, faith that prevails, gentleness of heart, and strength of spirit. Never set the law above these qualities, for they are meant to be limitless. What I love about the fruit of the Spirit is that he wants us to have as much as we want. We, I can't guarantee that our outcomes will always be what we want, but we can always have more and more of these things. The peace that endures, the patience that endures, the peace that overcomes, like a faith that prevails. And I'm so thankful that the Father knew we needed to be these rooted trees to produce this fruit. And I think this picture is for us as a body. One of the ways that I, like, loved to stay rooted in this past season was at the end of every Fasting Tuesday for 24 weeks, we did these fasting videos. And um, we would end the day with our kids. We'd fast all day. I mean, they they ate. I would not eat. And we'd get to the end of the day, and we would take communion together as a family. And sometimes it was, like, you know, like bread and chocolate milk or something. Um, and Cade, but they really began to, they would ask to take communion. They still do. And they'll be like, oh, let's take the body. Let's take the blood of God. And you're like, ah, like, do I need to give a little more structure? But what I love is that like they were just doing it. And when I would take it, I'm rooting myself to Jesus. You are the greater reality. You are greater than what a doctor tells me. Not that they're even wrong. You're just greater. 
There's a better reality. I'm fixing my mind on the fact that, Jesus, your body was broken for me. Jesus, your blood was shed ahead of time. Before I knew Cade needed to be healed, you knew, and you died, and you gave me this gift. So right now I'm going to have the team come up because under your seat there is elements for communion. And I just want us to practice this as a body together, practicing the rootedness of communion, rooting yourself into the ground of, God, we are remembering together what you did. We are remembering that your blood is enough. We are remembering that your body was broken for me. We are remembering that you came to destroy every work of the evil one. And I I even want to give faith, if there's something in your body today that is not working right, let's just ask God again. Let's not let disappointment be the root that our heart is connected to. Even if you've asked for years, if there's something, some kind of a breakthrough even, like I just feel like sometimes we root ourselves to the wrong thing. We try to root ourselves even to security and safety instead of risking again with God. And I just wanna say, when you send your root into the stream of God, you become this tree. So Father, we thank you. We thank you, God, that you want us to make it, not just for our sakes, but for yours, that there's something about if we believe we see the glory of God. And I pray that right now as we begin to take communion, as we begin to tie our hearts into you, we just thank you, Jesus. We thank you that you told us to do this as often as we gather because there was something about the remembering. So I ask that you'd give the fresh gift of faith, that it would be like when you're in that room with your disciples and you're breaking the bread and you're sharing the wine, and it's so real. The pain you endured was so real. But I thank you, God, that there's fellowship in your suffering. In our suffering, we are identifying with you. And we thank you, Jesus, that you came as the suffering servant so that we could have triumph and we could have an advocate with the Father. Jesus, that you are praying right now for each one of us. We love you, God.